Hello, welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset. It's World Cup, Rugby World Cup edition number two, coming to you from St. Etienne. Christy Doran sitting on a very sunny balcony in his five-star St. Etienne apartment. I'm a little bit dark in the moment of my hotel room, isn't it? It's just watching on the Zoom camera here. Uh, but, mate, we're um, backing up after a, a long night uh, at the stage. Jeffrey Guichard, um, listen to this podcast, will no doubt be picking themselves up um, 24 to 48 hours uh, after as well through the week, 22-15. Uh, the Wallabies going down to an inspired Fiji who were richly deserving of their victory. And for Australia, this kind of week just started very badly and only got worse from there. Oh, we've been picking up the pieces all week, haven't we, Brucey? And little bits of information have been coming uh, each day by day. And, and you get to a Sunday evening and you just felt like a storm was brewing, didn't you? There's not a hell of a lot that went right for the Wallabies. And when you lose two Giants and Taniela Tupo and Will Skelton, you, you take away the fact that Alan Alatoa is not even here in France and you go, geez, you're missing three crucial parts. And I think we've just seen that. Uh, we've seen a Fijian side that played a very un esque brand of football and uh, they took their points and also it wasn't a, it was uh, five penalties, just the one try. The Wallabies outscored the Wallab uh, Fijians two tries to one. I thought the Wallabies defended actually quite well, better than perhaps even expected. And the one try that Fiji score is off a, a ball that the Wallabies didn't want to catch. So uh, we're going to go through this, but it's a difficult thing less than 24 hours, realising that the Wallabies have to now go up the road to Leon and do a serious job on Warren Gatlin's well side to stay in this World Cup competition. They certainly do. It was the first win for Fiji over the Wallabies uh, in 69 years. And I've just caught up with Wiseli Serevi, the sevens great here at the Best Western Hotel, where my far less flash digs than your, uh, where the Fijians were last night. And I rolled back, oh, what was it, probably... 10.30, 10.45 p.m. Uh, and they're all gathered in the lobby in the bar with friends and family. And it was just just electric. The the atmosphere, you could just tell the the conversations and the joy and the happiness around the room. And look, you, you can't begrudge them their win, as we said. They were, um, they were just about dominant in every facet of the game, save for a few wobbles at the line out um, towards the end of that first half when I did wonder the option not to uh, give Kuravoli another shot at goal. He was four from four at that point and just kicking superbly. Would that come back to bite them? Of course it didn't. Um, the Wallabies got a little bit more pressure onto the line out in the second half as well, but everywhere else across the board, this was a, a performance of the highest quality from Fiji, wasn't it? And and I think I seriously think they would have worried each of the world's top four. They may not have beaten South Africa, New Zealand, France or Ireland last night, but they would have gone just as deep into that contest. It was it was of that quality. Completely agree. It's not just a great thing for Fijian rugby. It's a great thing for world rugby that the Fijians have uh, managed to bring it together in the last couple of years, an opportunity in super rugby to come with Petrua. And I think that's been one of the great additions. We've spoken about that a lot over the last couple of years. But to be able to see the progress, the stepping stones, the pillars put in place, and then for them to deliver, uh, especially off the back of last week's heartbreaker uh, in Bordeaux, where they defeat, uh, fell just short, 32-26 against the well side. Would have been easy for them to, to to drop their heads, but inspired performance, great for world rugby. It 
bring us in, bring us into the hotel a little bit more. Did you catch up with anyone? Did you have a drink in your sh- down in the hotel with any of them? What, what was going on? I stood at the bar and soaked it in and, and had a quick chat with with Frank Lamani um, on my way in. Just congratulated a few of them and and you know this is a it's historic, isn't it, for for Fijian rugby? Clearly a first win in, in sixty nine years, but the nature of it, um, just besting. I know the Wallabies, what are they, what were they, seventh or eighth after the last weekend's rankings? I don't know what that defeat does to them now. Maybe they might drop back to ninth or tenth, is it? Ninth, I believe, yeah. Ninth. Um, but it was just alive. You could, you could just tell what the win meant for them. But And just talking to Sarevi before, and you'll be able to read this on, on ESPN uh, in the coming hours, or certainly by the time this podcast goes live, is that declared it the, you know, the best moment in Fiji's 15s history. We know they've won a sevens gold medal. Uh, we know they've been dominant on the World Series year after year, um, perhaps not in the last couple, but um, the history and the pedigree that they've got in that format of the game. But but this is the standout moment for this team, playing for their World Cup survival. Um, lose last night and they were done. Their, their World Cup campaign was started and finished within seven days, right? So um, under that kind of pressure, um, and he was just telling me that the the celebrations, it would have been what kind of about 3 or 4 a.m., I guess, when this game kicked off in the islands back in the Pacific. Um, they're calling for a public holiday, he was telling me. It means that much to them. And you could just see that last night. And But it's, you kind of feel like the job is not done for them yet. Clearly, they've got bigger games to come. They've got this weekend off and then Georgia. But I asked Sarevi if he thought this team could create even more history and not only get to a quarterfinal, but then a semifinal, which they haven't done. And, you know, looking at those teams in the other pools, we think England are going to finish number one there. So, I mean, Fiji is still a chance of finishing on top of pool C. Um, But even if they were to finish um, second and come up against England, they beat them a few weeks ago at Twickenham. So there's a semifinal opportunity for this team and play like they did yesterday. They're entirely capable of achieving it. Absolutely, and and wouldn't that be a great statement for for the Sands or officials that have been burying their heads in the sands for years, uh, not being proactive, being completely reactive, and and it's you know, we asked Simon Rowley last night, you know, is that the statement that was needed? And and he wouldn't go as far as to say that. Of course, he's going to continue to talk up Fiji, but I think it was, and I think he deep in his heart would know that they would need a statement like that. You know, Australia is a, a nation that's won at less than 40% in the last eight years. How on earth Australia can go, you know, we're a great rugby nation. Please, give us a break. Uh, VG are uh, well coached. They've got a lot of intellectual property there. You think about not just at the national level, but Mick Byrne, a guy that's been part of about five World Cup campaigns, was part of that side, uh, that the wider coaching team in 99 with the Wallabies acting as a consultant, won two campaigns with, with the All Blacks as part of, alongside Simon Rowalui for the 2019 Wallabies campaign. You know, what he's done with the Truer has been fantastic, but it's not just them. It's, you know, with, with Simon Rowalui, he takes over from third quarter earlier this year in quite, quite kind of dramatic, dramatic circumstances where a lot of people didn't know how that was going to pan out. A guy that's done a lot of being an assistant for a long time, uh, and he's got Daryl Gibson, a really well-respected assistant coach. Maybe not as a head coach, but an outstanding assistant coach. You've got Glenn Jackson. You've got Brad Harris who will be joining the Rebels uh, next year for Super Rugby. He spent 10 years all around the world coaching. And you compare that to Australia at the moment, and you've got two NRL coaches there. One is here for a hot second. 
You've got two AFL coaches there who have barely spent any time in rugby. You've got a more coach who's a former halfback. And these are things that we've spoken about for quite a while, but it's only when you start to see the results stack up and stack up that you go, you know what? It's not working. And we've this has come to fruition. A week's a long time. If they manage to go to Leon and win and, and somehow perhaps push for that quarterfinal spot and maybe they take on England and Marseille, repeat of the quarter in 2007, if they come alive, you go, well, you know, the mad scientist approach has come off. But for the time being, it, it looks like it's just a, it's, it's a slow motion car crash at the current level. And you had a little prank last week, mate, too, didn't you, during the week? And a big shout-out to um, rugby.com.au's own Nathan Williamson, who's doing a tremendous job uh, for that um, platform uh, here in France. Um, Just take us – let's pause for a second on this game and just take us inside the the little brush with um, the curb somewhere just on the fringes of Lyon, was it? Yeah, yeah, not one of my uh, colleagues' finest moments, I wouldn't say. You know, there's – there's some suggestion that there was a nail or two involved, but the end result's two flat tyres in the first first turn out of Leon. Uh, not a great result. And sorry for leaving you on the side of the road there, Nate. But I believe your uh, I believe your boss was looking down from the from the Radisson and could see could see you parked up. One of the more amusing moments. No, uh, that, that that's some of the difficulties that when you though in all seriousness, when you're in a foreign nation like France, driving on the other side of the road. Uh, I don't want to get behind the world because I just don't necessarily feel comfortable. But you, you do. You, you don't just get served up things on a platter. And even last night, you you, you waited twenty minutes for Ubers, and it, and it adds up and adds up. And we're not going to cry wolf by any stretch of the imagination. But but uh, you know the Wallabies get chauffeured around in their in their coaches and and players and uh, sorry uh, supporters, um, media, whoever it is. You you've got to get yourself around. It's probably not as easy as what the Wallabies experience. Nonetheless, we're here, we survived, we, we, we push on. And um, interesting, wasn't it though, Brucey, that last night we spoke to Eddie Jones in the press conference uh, as per usual. He fronts up uh, 14 hours, less than 14 hours later for a, a morning Zoom, which we were a little bit late on, I must admit. But, but oh, how do you feel Eddie's approaching this at the moment? Because he was brought in, and how do you think RA is approaching this at the moment? They're brought in for, you know, the medium-term future, 25, 27, but also the short-term future. And all along, they've been insistent that this is a side that can still go deep in this World Cup. I think the pressure is squarely on the RA board, perhaps more so than it is uh, Eddie Jones, um, I, I spoke with uh, with Hamish McLennan. I know you did too around the fan day before the Wallabies left there, and adamant that Eddie Jones was the man for the job and would be in the job going forward no matter what, um, or until at least Eddie walked. But if they're to bow out, and you know we we talk about hypotheticals, and we got told in no uncertain terms by Eddie himself that he doesn't deal in hypotheticals, and hello to no. Nathan Williamson again, and we'll come back to some other things around the press conferences of the last week too that perhaps you, you may not have been aware of back in Australia. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I think it's the board who, who's in the firing line here because they made this decision. And you know my thoughts on this. I would have stuck with Dave Rennie, as I said, back in January 16 when we did that emergency pod the first of the year. I would have given him the opportunity to go through. And had Australia missed out on any Jones at that point, then so be it. I, I just never thought you threw away two and a half years of of work, Um 
And hey, do I, do I think that, that Wallabies group under Dave Rennie would have won the World Cup? No. Do I think that they'd be scratching to get through to a quarterfinal at this point? Well, no either. I, I think a Dave Rennie coach team playing at their best in the last couple of years would have won that game yesterday, um, clearly with some different personnel on show. So I know Hamish is 100% behind this plan to you know work back from 2027. It's all about 2027. And that's what Eddie said to me you know, before, ahead of that first game against Georgia here in Sydney, that uh, it's the start of the cycle, mate. That was his message to, to Wallaby's fans. But if the start of the cycle comes with a first ever pool stage exit in 10 editions of the Rugby World Cup, then that is just an unacceptable new low for Australian rugby. Yeah, uh, you can't argue with it, can you? And and that's the, the brutal reality confronting the Wallabies over the next seven days. They're, they're not going to be able to do it without, you know, there's no skeleton, there's no Tupo, there's no Alatoa. Fortunately, Tate McDermott will be back in the selection radar. Who's, who's to say there won't be another person that goes down? There's got to be some serious questions asked of the Wallabies, their setup, the wider program. I know centralisation is something that continues to be talked about bubbling along in the the background at the moment, but it, it is really bringing all of the issues to a head right now. And um, the question I would have to, to ask regarding was it the right time to usher through this generational change? If, if it doesn't happen this year, uh, it probably happens next year. Rennie wouldn't have done it. There's no doubt about that. Um, he would have been thinking, well, this is my own crack now. I've got to go as deep as I can. I'm not going to be here for the next couple of years. And, um, if you delay that generational change by a year, uh, what what are the ramifications for both the Lions series and the Home World Cup in 25 and 27? That's probably the only question you'd be asking around, was it essential to do it now rather than push it further down the can, uh, further down the road, um, 12 months down the road? Uh, at this present moment, I still think that some of those changes uh, uh, were right. I, I stand by that. I think it was necessary. I, I did ask though, Eddie, last night, what's the psychological damage of having guys lose six of their first seven tests? And he, he really said he couldn't quite answer that at the moment, but and was prepared to, to cop it, whatever happens, and thought that it was still the right move. I've spoken to several people who also think that is the right move, that it was needed to occur, but the end of the day, it's a it results. It's the currency that, that people work with at the moment. One from seven, uh, one from seven. It's less than twenty percent. So much pressure against Wales. Um, but if we if we if we think about what's going on against BG, Bruce, where do you see the game being won and lost immediately off the top? Oh, it was the breakdown, Christy, and and that was clear. And what I would say about that is, I uh, Matthew Carley certainly blew. Uh, penalties for holding on very quickly, um, but then it was Andrew, that and, and Andrew Brace. Sorry, sorry and, Andrew Andrew Brace. Matthew Carley yeah. did uh, the week before Wales versus Fiji. Um, Brace certainly blew penalties really quickly, but then it was up to the Wallabies to adjust to that immediately. We we know refs um, have different focal points. They ref the game in slightly different styles. Sure, they adhere to the same laws. We all know that, and, and never question that part of it. But They've got little focal points or they've got little bugbears which they potentially pick at more so than others. We could go like yeah. Wayne Barnes, so let's play go a little bit. And, and Eddie's alluded to that, that it's more closer to usually a 35 to 40-minute ball in play time as opposed to, say, 30 to 35 with, with some of the other refs. So, look, that, that was that was it. I, and I asked that of, of Fraser McRider and James Slipper in the in the mix zone straight afterwards, and they both said, yep, the, the attacking clean. And 
that was a problem for a long time under Rennie too. Um, particularly last year, people might remember that they they were playing, you know, in a style that everyone could see what they were trying to do, but so often they were let down by that first or seven, first or second clean, the accuracy of it, the physicality of it, and that was the big difference last night. You know, had that, I think Wales is a better matchup for Australia, um, a team that's not the size of Fiji, particularly when Australia were out skeleton and uh, Taniela Tupu. So I think that's a better matchup and we'll see a different style of game. Uh, away from the breakdown, I couldn't believe the amount of ball they kicked around, uh, kicked away around the attacking 22. It happened early in the game. Nick White, uh, a box kick when they just started to get a bit of a flow on two or three phases. Uh, Samu Karebi over by the right touchline. Jordan Pattaya again. Sully Vinavali's kick when they made that break, which he just needed to flop back over the top or even hold onto it. Um, which he punted dead from 40 metres out when he got on the outside of his man there. So there were several occasions of that, and it came after last week where I actually thought they kicked really well. Uh, Donaldson and Gordon in particular in that first half are no longer need to arsey. So it was, that was the two big things that stood out for me, the attacking breakdown uh, and the, the amount of pill that they, they kicked away, particularly around that attacking zone. Yeah, bang on. 18 penalties. I think half of those would have been at the breakdown. And there was a couple of more penalties too. Uh, uh, Ricciardo once or twice being pinged for being uh, offside or playing the halfback. Uh, but the five-minute period from the 58th to the 63rd minute period it killed him. And and that was, you could tell, you know, and historically this tells you that Fiji struggle around that 60-minute mark to the end. And it's whether or not they can hold on or not. They, they were going, and and uh, Dave Parecki gets pinged six meters out, holding the ball. Shortly afterwards, um, it's it's Jordan Walisi. Uh, moments after that, it's it's Samu Karevi, and then later on, it was uh, Marika Korobetti, I think it was, and and then lastly, Suli Vonavalu when he steps back on the inside rather than backing himself on the outside. That. Those five moments in the last 20, 20 minutes there just just killed them because they had the momentum. You could tell that the Fijian line-out was crumbling. Nick Frost, congratulations. Great defensive line-out there. Uh, I think he stole four. Uh, and and you know, you're right to highlight the, the pool kicking there. You know, Pattaya, twice putting pool on, on, on his toe from his grubbers. And this isn't just an issue that's Pattaya-related. Tom Wright was doing it. He was doing it in the semi-final against... The Chiefs in the in the opening fifteen yep. minutes of the yep. passage, the, the, so it, it's a it's a not to, I think it's a psychological it's a lack of understanding issue with Australian rugby about when to hold the ball when not to and about patience at times and yes I know that there's this all the stats going around that you've got to kick and if you don't kick within three or four phases twenty seconds or so that kind of golden period of turnover ball transition ball then get it away but. Oh, the, you know, Nick White, what are you doing there on the short side well, with the box kick? And a couple of the box kicks, even the one that paid off with Isaac Fines, Leo Asa, Nalakoff, forget he got on the ball well very shortly after to win a penalty. But it, was a, it wasn't like the Wallabies were on the same page with their runners. And that, that's the issue there. It, it, they, they weren't singing from the same hymn sheet. And that's disappointing when you've been together for so, so long. There's going to have to be, I think, one or two changes. Clearly, um, Tate McDermott's going to be valuable. I, I think he comes back straight away at, at nine. Uh, that's how they've been playing. I think their best kind of passage of players come with 
with Carter Gordon at 10 and, and Tate McDermott at 9 against New Zealand and Dunedin. Pone Farmer Silly was at tight head. Uh, his availability, I think, is bigger than more people expect. Uh, Nongal once again struggled at scrum time there uh, last evening. Uh, and and uh, what he does at fullback, it will be really, really fascinating. You've got to find space for Andrew Kellaway in that 23. I, I, I just don't see how Wunabalo, I know he scored a try, but he also kicked away possession, nearly made a hash of it in his corner, but was fortunately, uh, I think it was Lamani that was pinged for being offside. There's got to be space there for Kellaway in that 23 too. And just furthermore on the kicking, the, the game awareness, or at least the clock awareness there as time was ticking down, and they exchanged in a back-and-forth kicking duel that was essentially aimless. When you were seven points down, um, needing to get back upfield, uh, get a bit of field position, get a bit of possession inside the attacking half. And I just couldn't understand that side of things. And that you could feel that crowd, those Australians, uh, in stage Geoffrey Guichard yesterday, that, that energy coming out of them too. Like, boys, you need to keep this in hand now. You've got three minutes down to two minutes, two minutes down to 90 seconds. It's fast running out here. And I don't know how it came to that scrum and uh, what what was the sequence of events there that finished um, with that late free? It came from a line out first stage drop ball. But you, you're right to highlight those. You don't really want Marika Corabetti kicking the ball back twice. No, he, he doesn't and, want to kick it. And I think at that point in time, you've got to go contestable. If you're going to kick, you've got to wait, work for a contestable and, and maybe you get a scrum around that 10-meter line. But... There was opportunities in that in late in that that second half a couple of times where they've got space, they're out wide, and it's just that lack of patience and this unstructured nature that, that Eddie Jones has tried to 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 bring back into the game with the Wallabies. It's everyone has to be completely sure what their roles are, and you just wonder around the coaching, around the lack of detail there, because it seemed apparent that that at times. Play, players too close to each other. Uh, there was one or two times where the clean-out was missed because they were trying to latch and they're so desperate to get there, but they're actually missing that detail about where they need to be, what side of the ruck they need to be, where they're tracking. That kind of stuff was just all at sea. Yeah, Frank Lamani's late miss. I, I mean, that was a fortunate losing bonus point, wasn't it, there at the death. Um, and Kuravoli was taken off. Uh, Rawalui revealed, uh, probably a lot of people were curious about that, that he was cramping. And um, Simon Rawalui said that um, he just needs a little bit more pickle juice in him. And I actually walked past Sammy as I got back to the hotel last night and said congrats just as I was heading off to my room. And a very polite, uh, th- thank yeah. you, th- thank you, sir. And You were name-dropping um, off fair bit today, aren't you, Bruce? Well, mate, you know, it was, uh, it was a stroke of luck. I, I've been doing the hard yards from the Best Western here out in the sticks. So I had to have something go my way this week on on that front, um, although I did get a, a victory, an off-field victory over you earlier in the week, which we might come back to because I had a few inquiries about that as well um, through the week. But, um, Christy, what did you think um, around... I called it a circus last night when I got back because I couldn't quite believe um, the responses that your editor, um, Tony Harper, got for his questions of Eddie Jones around, I guess, the subterfuge of, of Will Skelton's injury and... And why they felt the need to to keep up that charade up until an hour for a kickoff, which is fine. You you know, like in any sport or you know our our sports that we have in Australia, around teams get named at all stages through the week. I think the NRL does there on Tuesdays, AFL's Thursday, and 
you can make changes to that squad up until an hour until kickoff when the manager signs the sheet and it goes to the the game manager. Um, but I just found it curious and unnecessary as as to why they did this on this occasion. That um, particularly then when, as I said to to your your boss Tony Harbour's questions around, well, uh, you know, a Taniella and Will back next week no neither of them will be back next week then why did they run with the line of we're going to give him right up until till kickoff i just felt in this scenario it, it didn't achieve anything at all uh detracted from dave Perecki's potentially one experience where he he might be captain i don't know he might back up again next week but certainly must have detracted from his ability to enjoy that sequence leading up to the game and i, I just don't think it was necessary and it created a sideshow we were obviously following it round the clock. You were pretty confident that it was ruled out. So was I. Um, you know, why not just do with what they did with Taniella and, and just rule him out, say, from when they got the results of the scan back on, on Friday afternoon? Because if he was no chance of lining up against Wales next week, then he was uh, even, I don't know, how do you describe that? Um, no possibility at all of, of playing on Sunday afternoon, no matter how long they gave him up with the physios and, and Medicos um, right up until kickoff. I, I just couldn't understand that. I, I disagree with you on this kind of occasion, and I think I, I told you that last night as well. Yeah. But but I, I disagree with you a couple of uh, ways because you know in cricket, uh, whatever sport it might be, at times you, you hand the, the team sheet into the into uh, you know an hour before uh, the, the toss is delivered and I think that in itself is, is always intriguing around are you going with the same 11 or not and uh, I, I think it was confusing for a lot of the public uh, watching on trying to get a grasp of what's occurring but I don't think that the team would have been confused whatsoever they knew that Will Skelton wasn't wasn't playing that game and yeah, to begin with in this earlier in the week as well we've got to remember Taniela Tupo to begin with uh, I asked all of his media managers, Taniela, uh, he's not training today. Is that just uh, load management? Uh, yep. Yeah, he's all good. Later that afternoon, it's revealed that he's got a uh, hamstring complaint. Uh, and, but, you know, we're all expecting him to play a day later. You know, he's all playing. Um, uh, there's no issues with him. Uh, and then eventually when the team is, is named, he's not there. And, so they were still kind of for a few days, people keeping people on edge, um, knowing that Taniella wasn't going to be right, and, and clearly he's not right for Wales. And I wouldn't imagine that he's getting rushed back to take on Portugal either. So he's going to miss the rest of the, the pool stage, I would think, with that hamstring. That's not just a minor injury. It's not just a minor injury for Will Skelton when someone goes to scans and gets a couple, like has a week or two off. That's you know it still might be minor in the sense that he's it's not going to keep him out for six months but it, it's a very significant injury for a world cup campaign losing any kind of time uh i, I have no issues with it Bay on fair enough warren gatlin would have been kept on edge maybe for, for an extra couple of days but realistically they probably would have known what was going to be occurring as, as soon as that kind of news came out um and as for dave parecki and Matt Phillip, who was called in, team photos. Look, I think that's just the the realities of it. And I'm sure he probably would have preferred to have sat back on Friday morning and been able to go, you know what, yeah, 88 captain, it's going to be great. But 
there's, there's no iron team is there. And I think uh, he'll get that opportunity later this week ahead of Wales to be able to talk a little bit about his captaincy kind of journey because it wouldn't have been an easy one at last night uh, with with you know following the first loss to against uh, CJ in 69 years to be able to kind of talk around the captaincy experience. Six six captains in seven tests. So who's to say there won't be a seventh and eighth test? So Brizzy, I wouldn't rule it out. And Eddie did say five to seven, I think, didn't he? When we, we asked him who he was thinking about that, uh, maybe in one of those early Zooms while he was still um, up in uh, this hemisphere. Um, yeah, and that's fine. And I, and I get that point of view as, as well around that. Um, but, but I just felt like it was... It was more kind of Eddie sidecar circus, and we've seen a bit of it already this year, that this team just could have done without this week. Um, and, and that the fans are, are, arose. You know, you and I paused um, for a few, well, not a few moments. We, we sat out and, and soaked up the atmosphere a couple of hours out from kickoff, uh, about 500 metres from the stadium, and embraced, you know, just took the opportunity to enjoy um and as a, from a fan's perspective, if you like, and, and spoke a little bit about what we thought about the game and um, that was ahead and mixed with a few few fans of yours. Um, and I just feel those fans have travelled this far. Um, we think there's, I think we got told about 50,000 Australians have bought tickets to this World Cup at various points throughout it. So do, do they not in deserve a, a bit of honesty around those things as well, though, that, um, you, you know, that, and just less of the bullshit. Eddie, I think at this point, you know, um, at a game like this that you and I spoke about it all week, I kept saying to you, mate, I think they lose. I think they lose. I I, I could see it in that 20 or 30 minutes against Georgia there where they just, you know, went to absolute crap. Um, that Fiji were going to give them a mighty run for their money and it's exactly how it proved. I, I, in my point of view, I just felt they could have done without that sideshow and um, that's the good thing about podcasts that you've got your opinion and I've got mine. Yeah, true. And look, great atmosphere. And, and anyone that's coming and watching these games, get to where the Cadbury houses are, are, are set up on a, on a match day. Great atmosphere. There's hundreds of Australian fans and Fijian fans. And yeah, you're right. The conversations were all about, you know, is Will Scott playing? Is he not? What's going to happen? There was a real buzz in the air. And it wasn't just there. I was earlier in town. I had a coffee with a couple of people. And all the neighbouring tables were talking about Scott and is he playing and not. And uh, I think, I think yeah, there is an element of treat your fans with respect. But I think at the end of the day, had they won, uh, that tiny bit of edge perhaps might have proved the difference. And, and I still come back to the fact that I think the team would have very much known what was occurring. And yes, they've got to kind of diffuse a couple of questions and flap out them, maybe a couple of little lies there along the way. But... Dan Palmer, perhaps I felt most sorry for. Yeah, and and he's a lovely bloke, Dan Palmer too, and oh, I can't imagine he would have enjoyed it. Uh, with Carves, as we know, with Sam Kerr not that long ago, the, the niggly kind of things and and uh, how long they're out for, Michael Hooper as well. And uh, he, he kind of tweaked his when he was thinking he was going to be all right a week later. So anyway, we move on. We sure do. And uh, hello to Hugh Tindall, who came up and said g'day at the uh, the Cadbury House there, mate. Hope you enjoy the rest of your trip and uh, get a win uh, against Wales and Leon on Sunday. Um, what else, mate, have I got written down here? We kind of touched on on changes a little bit. Um, as I said, I think Wales is a is a better matchup for Australia. I, 
I think, you know, Fiji just drifted out of that game a little bit with them a week earlier, something they didn't do on Sunday against the Wallabies. Um, they haven't got the attacking threats that that Fiji do. Um, very much, you know, a, a style in, in the Warren Gatlin mould, as we know, since he's returned. Um, I can see this being another, you know, hard fought, a few points in it either way. And and I guess that brings bonus points into it as well. It's, it, yeah. This George is still the outlier. I think that they can potentially do something, you know, it might only be 10 to 15% chance of, of just doing a little bit of, you know, damage in this pool yet to either Wales or Fiji in the coming weeks. If they get things right, they'll be well rested. Um, they've had that week off and I think they get Portugal this weekend. So you would imagine they would come through that game. There's plenty more to play out here, but you just feel, A, that bonus point on Sunday, yesterday, uh, following that miss from Frank Lamani could be crucial. And B, whatever transpires on that four try, I, I don't know that we'll see four tries next week from either time, either team rather, but that losing by less than seven could also be huge next week. Yeah, bang on. I, I, I feel much more confident heading into Wales than I did Fiji. And that was even when, at that point in time, Tupo and Skelton were still around. And I think it's because of the the, the absolute explosiveness of the Fijian pack. And you, you see Boyd's here yesterday, uh, you know, four years ago, for 50 minutes, Fiji dominated. And they dominated because they just smoked Australia at the collision. And they dominated around the breakdown and the physical kind of battle. And Australia wasn't there yesterday. It was Rob Valentini that rolled up his sleeve. Angus Bell played tough. Uh, Samu Karevi played tough. Uh, but there wasn't enough of it. Marika, one or two moments. But against this Welsh side, they're going to be methodical. They're going to grind away. They're going to be... Uh, kicking a lot and they'll be kicking in different areas that Fiji did um, they'll obviously take their shots they'll try to slow things down I think um, but they've got some wily old characters guys like Lee Halfpenny who've been around for a long long time know how to win games Dan Bigger's going to be passionate he'll probably let his teammates know what he thinks uh, if they go away and try to play too loose um, that I, I don't see the the physical explosive threats that Fiji had in that Welsh side. I know Josh Adams, Lewis uh, Rizamit, uh, guys with a fair bit of pace there as well. Liam Williams is a really good player too. Um, but the midfield, I'm not as concerned by George North now at 13 a lot of the time. Yep. Uh, I think Jack uh, Morgan there at seven is a, is a really good player, uh, emerging player. But that type five doesn't scare me. Um, it doesn't scare me. And, and if Australia can just lift their performance by a couple of percent there, uh, I, I think they've got enough variation in their attack to to keep Wales. who will go into this game with, I think, probably more a conservative, not just a, a conservative way to play the game, but a conservative mindset. And, and could that they... Uh, a detrimental thing for yep. them knowing that they don't actually have to win by a bonus point um they don't really they, uh, even a losing bonus point they they potentially ensure that they go through that psychological mindset of going to a game can can do strange things australia will go in there like fiji did yesterday and and they'll throw it all out there leave it out in the park um that'll be a really fascinating kind of thing and a, Interested to see whether or not there's some more mind games between the two coaches throughout the week. I know some people say nothing, like it means nothing that the players don't read the press. They read the press, come on. <laughs> they read what happens. And those mind games, 
Eddie hasn't fired a shot at Warren Gatlin yet. I wonder whether or not Gats does that. And, and, and if he does, then I reckon Eddie will go toe for toe uh, in that in that element. Yeah, going to be a absolutely incredible atmosphere in Leon. Um, certainly, the the gold and red makes for uh, amazing colours in the crowd. The the comparison between the two. Um, so looking forward to getting up there midweek. I think you're up at the weekend, mate. There. Um, just just finally, I guess on the Wallabies. In do you do you foresee a change then? And would it, if Eddie relented oh, by shifting, say Donaldson into ten and bringing Kellaway in. Um, is that uh, admission that he's got that Carter-Gordon selection? Not wrong, but was um, foolish not to bring it back up of either a Cooper or a Foley. And would he be bold enough to, to I guess, make that selection and, and kind of admit that in the process of doing so? The bold selection to me is Ben Donaldson 10, Max Jorgensen 15. That's the bold selection. Now, Andrew Kellaway is a, it might be an admission that he didn't get it right, um, but but Jorgensen's the one, you think about the combination between him and Donaldson um, from a Waratahs level. Uh, similarly, Carter Gould and Andrew Kellaway for the Rebels. So oh, I can see by all four of those guys featuring, you know, and, and whether, who, who starts and who comes off the bench will be fascinating. But don't rule out Max Jorgensen. He's a guy that the players themselves are uh, uh, not necessarily. Well, actually, I have publicly said that he's a freak, and, and even some of the more senior players that haven't spoken are thinking that themselves. Uh, this will be this will be interesting. But if we think about what's the best half an hour, forty minute passage of play period of time throughout this uh, seven match campaign, go back to Dunedin in the first half, uh, it, and if and if the Wallabies can play to that kind of accuracy against a Welsh side, I think they blow them away. Yep, yep, hard hard to argue. And and just as you and I have been watching the 15 minutes that we get to watch of training two or three times a week, I have spied Eddie kind of in deep conversation with Max Jorgensen on a, a number of occasions, just putting his arm around him. I've got no idea what he's been saying. Might be having a joke, um, as we've been told by others. Uh, Tom Hooper last week saying that uh, Eddie motivates him by saying, run as fast as you do to the Oberon bottle shop. And that was certainly the highlight from a press Perspective last week was was Tom Herper's um, twenty minute cameo on on Wednesday afternoon, but yeah, uh, going to be a fascinating week to follow what what comes out, and and you got to think that there's there's going to be some robust selection decisions going on, and, and I no doubt Eddie will make the final calls, but um, uh, they've got to find something that they didn't have on Sunday. Oh, totally, totally, and if they do, it, it rolls on. If it doesn't, there'll be a lot of people looking for an early flight home. I'd imagine. Uh, in fact, it'll be it'll I'll be, be among them. Last, tough last week against Portugal, and just left a field. Um, and I, what what else has caught your eye over the last week, Sam? Is there a, a game? Is there uh, something in Saint Etienne or Leon that that's caught your eye? I think it's got to be Uruguay, and, and even by extension of that, um, a further South American extension, Chile as well. Like um, they were well beaten by Samara in the end, but. But certainly Uruguay were fantastic, weren't they? You and I watched this game together last Thursday night um, against clearly a France team down multiple first-choice players, but still a, a very good lineup in itself. And, you know, bar for one disallowed try for obstruction, they, they could have been, you know, right in contention for an upset. But to be 26-12 against the hosts um, in your first game up, um, really having not played any tier one countries in the lead up uh, Uruguay, they might've had a game against an Argentina 15 or 
potentially, um, but certainly one well down on on the first rate Pumas. So um, that on field has been huge. Oh, I think that's really good to see. And um, we've been talking a little around you know future World Cup destinations, haven't we? In passing and the US, whether they can get their act together for for twenty thirty one, and you know perhaps it might be better served by a bit of a joint effort from Uruguay, Spain and um and Argentina sorry, Uruguay. I've got my continents mixed up there. Uruguay, Argentina and, and Chile. Uh Spain's under twenties, of course, will be going to the junior world championship next year, having qualified from the trophy. That's what maybe already got mixed up. But there's some discussions around that, isn't there, around the potential for a move to to twenty four teams in, in twenty seven and and what that would look like. Would it be sort of six teams of of four and you, your top six winners go through and then your two of highest placed um, second place finishes across the pools um, could be tricky to work out, I guess, on that front. Um, eight pools of three um, might be the other solution. Um, so there's just a few little conversations kicking around the background uh, while we're over here, aren't there? Yeah, certainly is. I don't like the idea of the highest place second people, uh, nations qualifying, but yeah, that, that'll be an interesting one. Whether or not they go to 24 in the years to come, uh, more, more, more pressing. I'm really excited for the, the clash on, on Saturday up in Paris with, with uh, South Africa and Ireland. That's going to be a, a real insight into how these two sides are measuring because we know that South Africa will too, far too good for Scotland first up, but comfortable victories in the last... Uh, couple of matches including Ireland's two games they're, they're firing on all cylinders at the moment but that'll be a huge one and uh, I think Argentina Samoa uh, a night earlier in, in Sanedian we're planning on being there for that that'll be a great game uh, Argentina need to win it really to keep their World Cup alive Michael Checker coaching that Christian Laviafano with the, the Samoans um, so there's a lot of great rugby to look forward to and it's you know the, the permutations, the ramifications, it's all so much more significant now off the back of uh, the weekend with, with Australia's defeat against Fiji. Certainly is. Uh, we got a game early, I think a Wednesday kickoff. So not um, that was kind of been the other big, I guess, crack at, at this tournament. And it's the, the, the three days off, sort of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday last week, the tournament just lost a little bit of momentum. And we know it's different from football is that you can't ask rugby players to sort of back up on, on four days notice and and clearly we moved away from that for the for the developing nations as they're called now um and and maybe that's why we're seeing performances like the one we got from uruguay uh, against france last week that they're not um, being expected to do those the the lion's share of those the shorter turnarounds um on the flip side you get a tournament that runs eight weeks so um clearly a few things to be ironed out um but mate look that's um that's pretty good for a monday wrap i think wallabies heavy i'm going to talk with uh, Tom Hamilton, uh, my colleague in the UK, uh, about a little bit of a, a little bit of a, start again, a little bit of a wider look at the tournament through the week, maybe a bit of a north-south action and, and more on his insights with Warren Gatlin um, from the past uh, few years being up here. So looking forward to that. Um, and the big news of the week, the one you've all been waiting for, Bruce versus Doran. Um, stairs and on the flat, uh, it's a 2-0 dominant victory. Um, from the boy from the bush, for the boy from the bush, um, comprehensive, recovered from a stumble on the stairs and then uh, just obliterated him on the flat. He wants a rematch. It may well take place tonight after a few light refreshments. Um, but Christy, uh, I know you're not a man of excuses, but um, how do you turn it around? 
Uh, looking forward to a week in a week's time, and it'll be three two, and we'll give up there. So I might, I might uh, move away from the fact that you have to touch every step, and you can leap up a few more. It's a bit better when you've got giraffe legs as opposed to a bloke that, that you can't see past the uh, the picket fence. But it'll be. <laughs> It'll be uh, it'll be good fun, and uh, I'm sure you'll vote. Well, Michael Atkinson at least will put it out on social media to see the, uh, the 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 rematches. But if you lose tonight, I'll tick my hat and been wearing it around all, all uh, the last three four weeks. Shout out to Royal Hobart to Golf Club that yeah. played that earlier in the year. But um, yes, congratulations. Those calves have come in handy. The only second second biggest, only uh, behind uh, Taniella Tupo, and actually third and Joshua to to us over. Yeah, he's got a fair set on him, the PG and Senna, hasn't he? Uh, all right, team, a bit of fun and games to finish. Thanks for your, uh, oh, not patronage, but your listening, your ears um, over um, the last uh, 40 minutes or so. We'll endeavour to bring you uh, everything that's breaking from France this week. Uh, massive game, as we said, in Lyon on Sunday afternoon. Can't wait. Um, catch Christie's work at the Raw. Of course, uh, we'll have all the build-up on au as well. And in the meantime, Sing out with any questions, thoughts, queries, um, or tips for how Christy can get round me on either stairs or the flat ground. And if and if you're in if you're in France, make sure you shout out and let us let us know. We'd love to catch up with you. Absolutely, come on and tap us on the shoulder. It'd be great to meet you. Cheers.